Everyone, I'm music journalist Thomas Mooney, and you are listening to New Slang. We close out the week with episode 113 with singer-songwriter Coulter Wall. It was awful nice catching up with Coulter a couple of weeks back, and as you're probably aware by now, Coulter has a new album coming out next week called Western Swing and Waltzes and Other Punchy Songs. It's officially out Friday, August 28th. As you'd expect... We talk a lot about the new album, which he recorded down at Yellow Dog Studios in Wimberley, Texas. He self-produced the 10-track album, and I think we really see a different side of culture with this album. Obviously, with Imaginary Appalachia, his self-titled Full Length, and Songs of the Plains, there were distinct moods and tones to those songs and albums. Especially with those first two, they were so rich with these dark tones, they were bold, and there was a starkness to them both sonically and lyrically. A lot more murder ballads, a lot more of that gravelly baritone being a tour de force. And there's still a lot of that on the album Songs of the Plains, but you also see Coulter starting to drift further west with more cowboy ballads and trail songs, which just feel more naturally light and airy. And this new album sees Coulter fully embrace those western tinges and working cowboy themes. You feel that organic, fun-loving nature of Western Swing and Waltzes. I hate to describe it as being less serious in both subject and feel, but you can definitely feel Coulter and company cutting loose on this album. You really pick up on Coulter's sense of humor both lyrically and then just kind of how he frames a song. On some of the songs, they're bookend by conversation and comments, and that's such a simple technique, but it adds to the atmosphere of the album. As I told Coulter, the record feels like you've stepped out of your living room for a minute, and when you return, they're in there setting up, and they're already passing a guitar around and trading songs and stories. I've really enjoyed this new one with Coulter, and I think you will too. Western Swing and Waltzes and Other Punchy Songs is out next week, but if you want a little preview, go check out the two songs Coulter has already released from the album, the opening Western Swing and Waltzes and the classic Stan Jones ballad Cowpoke. Today's presenting sponsor is Desert Door Texas Sotol. If you know anything about me, it's probably that I'm from the heart of West Texas and absolutely love everything about West Texas. And that's really why I love Desert Door so much. You may be asking yourself what exactly Sotol is. Well, it's a premium spirit that's similar to a tequila or a mezcal. But for my money, It's a little bit more refined and smooth. There's a sweetness and faint hints of vanilla and citrus. And it's also as versatile as your garden variety vodka. At its core, Desert Door is authentically West Texas. They go out and harvest soto plants from the wild and bring them back to their distillery over in Driftwood, Texas. So next time you're at your local liquor store, get a bottle of Desert Door. For more info, check this episode's show notes. If this is your first time listening to New Slang, I strongly suggest hitting that subscribe link. If you just did, I'm giving you a virtual high five right now. New Slang is over on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, and basically any and everywhere you listen to podcasts. Go check out the New Slang merch store, grab a koozie, some stickers, buttons, and magnets. Any bit helps. I'll throw a link into the show notes. And if you're into playlists, go check out Tom Mooney's Cup of Coffee and the Neon Eon playlists over on Spotify. The Neon Eon is for all your nostalgic 90s country needs. 
which there's going to be more Neon Eon related stuff coming your way pretty soon. And then Tom Mooney's Cup of Coffee is a regularly updated mix of new Americana and country music. It's also a really great hint at who I have coming up on the podcast. So yeah, go follow those. All right, that's enough for this intro. Here is Coulter Wall. So yeah, man, you've been kind of holding up on a ranch out here in Texas all this time. Yeah, I mean, not not the... Not the whole time, um, I guess not since all this shit hit the fan necessarily. Um, you know, my the last gig I played was in February, and it was the San Antonio Rodeo. Um, and um, I guess, yeah, that would have been, I don't know, February, I think towards the end of February, I can't even remember, but... Um, that was the last gig that I had. And since then, I've mostly been uh, sitting still. But uh, uh, I did venture out to a good friend of mine's place. He's got a little ranch outside, uh, just south of Elgin, Texas, kind of, I guess, south central Texas, not too far from uh, not too far from Austin, but... I got a buddy that's got some property out there. He's actually got a bunch of different properties sort of all around the state, but he's, uh, he lives out there, um, on this little camp that he's got set up in one of his ranches. And I, I'll go out there and bug him for, you know, a few months at a time out of the year and try to help around and drink a lot of beer and stuff. So, um, <laughs> I figure, you know, this is as good a time as any to take advantage of, those kinds of relationships and, and just go hold up and, you know, so pretty, uh, pretty easy to social distance as they say, when you're, when you're, um, you know, <clears throat> out in the country. So yeah, when there's a, uh... I enjoy it. I, I like, I like being able to get away out there. I got a few different buddies like that sort of spread around um, the States and, and Canada that, uh, I like to go, uh, and kind of just loaf around them, their place for a while, you know, yeah, when there's when there's more head of cattle than heads of people out there, it's easy to, you know, social distance. Yeah, yeah, that's the <laughs> that's the goal. That's the the life goal, really. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah, like I've noticed, like you know, speaking with everyone during this time, it's it's been the people who have found other things to to occupy their time to keep busy that have been. Uh, taking this this space this pause the best um obviously you've been like you said you've been out on these uh out in the the country kind of just helping around and all that kind of stuff um what what have you done on the artistic side has it has this space been beneficial to to writing in any capacity well you know the way that this is sort of all um, shook out here was is uh we were planning on putting out this record um, right around now, which of course we're still going to do it. I think the original plan was maybe to have it out a little earlier, kind of around the spring. Um, but um, it got pushed back obviously a little bit because of the stealing, but mostly just because we, we kind of had to get our ducks in a row, so to speak. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, the way that um, my brain works and I can't speak for everyone that, write songs, but I can speak for me. And the way that my brain works is I, I have a hard time writing anything 
when I know that I've, I've still got a record, um, that, uh, is, is yet to come out, you know, when I got a, a record sort of on the, on the docket, um, that's just, the, I, I guess it just takes up a lot of that, um, the song part of my brain for lack of a better term, it kind of just takes that up and I spend, uh, more time just thinking about the songs that I've already got recorded and waiting to put them out there. And then, you know, after the release is sort of typically when I'll start, um, stop worrying about it and start, uh, thinking about the next thing. And, and I've, I've done a little bit of writing during this time, the whole, uh, Corona thing. I, I've gotten a little bit done, but, um, not much just because, you know, time and time, every, every time I make a record, it seems to go like this where, uh, I kind of just, um, I don't do a whole lot of writing until I can, until the thing's finally out there, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's so strange because like, I think the, the entire time as a, if you ask the the average artist, what do you need more of to, to be a, a better songwriter? Most of them are going to say, Oh, I could, if I just had more time to write. And then of course, like right now this yeah. happens and then it's like, well, here's some time to write. And then all of a sudden you feel like this weird, strange pressure you know what i mean it's uh it, it's because it, it just changes everything that you've ever you've how you've how you've written before you know and uh yeah i don't know i've found like a lot of people have done other things um from gardening to painting to whatever else yeah and um, well i think oftentimes and i guess it depends what kind of songs you write or what kind of writing you're doing in general i think a lot of times find something else to do is mm-hmm. is often the key you know if you sit down every day and just trying to write i mean i'm sure i guess there's probably some people out there that can do that and just sit down and force themselves to write a song um but uh it don't really work that way for me i i like to it, my best stuff i think usually comes from when i'm in the middle of doing something else and I get an idea or get a line or whatever it might be melody you know whatever but I think that's um, it's crucial for my whole songwriting process or whatever you want to call it. You know, I, I've I've got to find other stuff to do to occupy my brain, and then usually it's just some kind of, you know, it can be anything, just some kind of uh, manual labor working with with your hands is kind of what does it for me, and and then that's sort of where I start to freeze up the mind a little bit. I think you know, if you're just sitting around, it's real easy to to overthink. Um, I'm definitely guilty of that sometimes. So I, I get it. I'm, I think, uh, you know, the best thing for anyone to do right now is, uh, you know, just take advantage of the, of this, uh, time that we got now where, you know, a lot of people can't work. Um, this whole thing has been, you know, I think is affected in the, in the least, the, le- the people who are least affected by this whole virus is, uh, and, and the way that it sort of shut down a lot of jobs for people are producers, you know, and people that live in the country, people that, whether they're raising crops or livestock or, or whatever, you know, um, their lives are pretty much the same because they're, they're already isolated. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, you can't, uh, you can't shut down. I guess you could, you would call them essential jobs, but, um, you know, they're, they're working for, themselves and uh and the crops and the cows don't know about um you know the corona and they don't know about the the global shutdown and all this other stuff but people got to be fed you know yeah so, that's what i was gonna um, say is the cattle been, cows still need to be fed. Uh, 
Sorry, you were breaking up oh, there just a little bit. No, I was just saying that's exactly what I was going to say. Is like you know, at the end of the day, cows need to still be fed and watered, and crops need watering, and uh, yeah, <laughs> that don't stop. Yeah, those people are all still working, and I'm I don't think a lot of just from what I've seen on the news and social media, uh, those kinds of folks who um, you know are the sort of people that I, I you know that I look up to most for the you know. Uh, the most part are our producers and and I think a lot of people from what I've seen on the news and whatnot don't realize <clears throat> that those people are still working man they're they haven't stopped they work uh, day in and day out and I hope that for maybe folks that don't know and that are a little more ignorant to you know where food comes from I hope that they'll uh uh maybe be a little more appreciative because it, it certainly seems like over the past few years, there's been a lot of attack on a lot of attacks on agriculture and that whole industry has has been sort of scrutinized by a lot of people that um, I don't think really know what they're talking about. So I hope that this whole thing um, gives some folks a, a deeper appreciation for you know, the producers of the world and the folks that are, um, you know, raising the crops and, and, and stock and everything, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At the at the beginning of this, I had a conversation with a buddy about, you know, so much of our economy is tied to a global economy. And I was hoping that maybe there would be one of the effects out of this that we were able to, uh, a positive out of this was realizing that being local or regional, um, would be way more beneficial. We need to kind of go back to having more where you get more of your stuff locally. And hopefully you seek out those people who, who are growing stuff or just making stuff locally. Um, more so because, you know, we, we all kind of laughed about the, the toilet paper kind of thing. But, you know, if you, (laughs) if you, if you bought locally, if they're like every, if if every state had a, for just the comic relief on this is uh, if every state had like a toilet fa- paper factory, there wouldn't have been <laughs> nearly as much of a a cry for it, you know. So apply that to yeah. everything else. You know, it's uh, that's true. I mean, it, you're you're right on the money there, man. Um, one thing I've noticed, another thing I've noticed during all this is I've seen a a lot of people reaching out and trying to. Um, um, try to tell people about, Hey, you can buy local beef. And I guess this is from more the cattleman side of it. Cause I, I, as we've talked about before, that's a big interest of mine. And mm-hmm. I've got a small herd myself back home, but, um, uh, you know, you can, there's a lot, been a lot of, um, folks that I know that raise cattle and, and they've been getting on social media and everything else. And Hey, all you got to do is call us, text us, email. If you want a side of beef, um, you know, whether you want a side or whether you want a couple ribeyes or something, just reach out and, and we can get it to you. You don't have to go to the Walmarts and you don't have to go to the, the Kroger and all that. If you, if you want some local stuff and, and I'd like to see more of that sort of thing happening. Um, cause you look at, I mean, now more than ever, it's, it's, uh, in the, the whole, the beef, the world of, uh, of beef and the cattle industry, it's, it's more evident than ever. And it's been this way for a long time that, you know, um, people can't get enough of it right now. And especially when everyone was really stocking up on stuff and, and, 
you know, you'd go to the grocery store and it would be just completely empty because people were mm-hmm. stocking their fridges and freezers with meat and with food. Um, you know, the demand for it was so high, but the cattle market was still shit like it's been for so long, you know, and that's that has to do with you know, packers and, and, and the way that that whole industry works and the monopoly of, of the packing industry and all that. But, um, you know, I, I, I just, um, I guess I, I hope to see more people realizing that we can get all the stuff that we buy normally from the big grocery store or wherever we can get it locally and, and it's better quality. And, um, we know where it's coming from and, you know, hopefully, um, that's just, you know, talking about silver linings with this whole thing. I hope uh, more people kind of get wise to that, but, uh, I guess we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's definitely the case. I mean, like, I I think when you, it just, everything's just so much better if you you buy locally, Uh, as you said, you, you know where it's from, you you know what, if you know the person doing something too, like that, just that one-on-one, uh, relationship. If you, you, I wanted to talk to y'all one more time about our new partners at Desert Door and offer up a handful of my favorite ways to drink it. Get you a Mexican Coca-Cola, have a couple of swigs, then pour yourself some Desert Door Oak aged in, toss in a lime wedge or two, or how about this? Pour some Desert Door into a mug, top off the glass with some ginger beer, squeeze in a lime, or for all you ranch water drinkers out there, get you a Topo Chico, Take a couple of pulls off and then pour in some Desert Door. Toss in a couple of lime wedges and now you have a mighty tasty and refreshing ranch water. Remember, Soto is as versatile as vodka and has a more refined, smooth, and a more complex palate than tequila. It's rich and balanced and and whatever your go-to drink is, it'll make it that much better. And again, it's inherently West Texas. It tastes like home. For more info on Desert Door, check our show notes. All right, that's it for Thomas Mooney's Cocktail Minute. Let's get back to the show. As you mentioned, you know, you like being around. You're, you're interested in all this kind of the agricultural side of of the Americas. And this record right here that you have coming out, all those songs really tie back to being on ranches and being on open frontier and plains. And um, you, I guess, like, you know, you recorded this down in Wimberley. And I know you had you've done a couple of things down there, you know that single, and you had that one song on that Texas Cotton movie. Is that like is that where your your first tie was with uh, Yellow Dog and Adam? Yeah, that would have been my first time recording there. I had been there previous to that. Um, I had been over there just sort of to hang out with some friends of mine, and, mm-hmm. and really just loved the space. You know, it's a, it's a beautiful spot they got out there. Um, it's right on the Blanco River in middle of the hill country, Texas hill country. It's real pretty. And, um, you know, it's not too far from Wimberley, Wimberley but, but far enough that, you're, I mean, you're definitely in the in the sticks a little bit out there. And um, I kind of just fell in love with that place pretty quick. And and, um, and I really like Adam, and I really like his, uh, the way that he goes about, you know, setting up sessions and, and just working out of that studio and, um, uh, but yeah, the, the Texas cotton thing was the first time that I'd recorded there. I believe I'd been there once or twice before just hanging around. Um, but, uh, 
it was it was kind of a no brainer for this one. I really wanted to take the reins on this record, and uh, as far as production, but also just as far as you know the people playing on it. Uh, and I kind of just I wanted to make it a you know the kind of thing where you just you get the band and um, bring everybody down there together and uh, sort of just bunk up there for better part of a week and play and and get through the day at work till. So it starts to get late and then go down the river and, you know, have a beer and, and a smoke and grill something up and, and just sort of, we, we really kind of all treated it like a vacation, even though we were working hard and, and getting, you know, lots of different cuts in during the day. But, uh, man, it was a blast. I wish I could go back and do it again. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, um, there's like a looseness to the record. And I, I, I mean, I mean that in like a good way. Like there's, you can tell y'all are kind of, cool. um, you guys are having fun and you guys, there's a couple of songs where you leave them. They're not like you, you leave some of the background noise, uh, from the, the, yeah. the front of the song or the back of the song or both. And, um, I think all those things like add to a certain mood of, of the record being, um, I think so too. Not um, too serious or anything. I you appreciate know? you saying that, you know, some of my favorite, uh, albums are, uh, I love, um, all the 70s, late 60s, 70s stuff that Jerry Jeff and the Gonzo Band did. And mm-hmm. uh, you can, I mean, I don't, I've always said that there's, there's no better example of audible fun, you know? <laughs> yeah. You can hear those guys having a blast. And you, you can hear it. It's all in there. And it's, there's that sort of looseness. And it, it just sounds like, I mean, they, it's a great band and they're killer players. But it, beyond that, it just sounds like, you know, nobody's looking at the clock thinking like, oh, well, you know, we got to get out of here soon because we only paid for this many hours. They're just hanging out probably in somebody's house or wherever and and, and having fun, man, and goofing around. And, and that's um, that was sort of the mentality I wanted to take in there because, you know, the, this band, it's, the band I recorded this with is with the exception of, um, I guess, a, a relatively new drummer. There are a bunch of guys that I've known for a while and we're a, I'd like to think we're a pretty easy going bunch most of the time. So it was, uh, it just felt right to sort of go in with that mentality of, Hey, let's, let's just have fun and let's leave weird stuff in this record. And, and, you know, let's, let's try to get some of that good time feeling, uh, on tape if you can. Yeah. Yeah. No one was, uh, was having more fun than Jerry Jeff back in the seventies. Yeah, for sure. I mean, those guys were, <laughs> Most of my favorite records have things like that. You know, there's a great album, uh, Ramblin' Jacks, that not a lot of people know, called Bull, Durham Sacks, and Railroad Tracks. And I think Charlie Daniels produced it. And they leave all kinds of weird stuff on there, man. Like, there's a whole track that's just Jack messing around with this tape echo effect and, and doing impressions and goofing <laughs> around with the studio guys. Everybody's laughing. And they just left it on the record. You know, a lot of guys would you know, cut that out, I guess, and sort of clean it up. But um, I like hearing that sort of thing. To me, that makes it more of a personable experience, you know. So yeah, we tried to take a little bit of that and and, uh, and get that sort of same feel or, or something close to it, I guess. Yeah, leave some of that personality on them, you know. Uh, yeah, exactly. The Man, you go back and whenever Charlie Daniels died, I, I went back and was – I knew he had done some – the. Uh, uh, a couple of records with Bob Dylan and 
on some Leonard Cohen stuff, but I went back yeah. was looking through and man, you look at his credits. He's got like, he's like you said, that rambling Jack record. Uh, there's just like, there's a lot of people that you'd be kind of surprised that he was what records he was on, you know? Yeah. There's a, a quote from somebody that said, you know, Charlie, no matter what he was doing, whether he was playing on a record, producing it or what, if Charlie was in the control room of the studio, then you knew it was going to be fun. Mm-hmm. And you knew it was going to sound great. And I can't remember who said that, but I remember reading that somewhere, someone talking about, you know, just him being around for sessions, whether he was picking on them or, or whether he was just around, you know, but you knew it was going to sound really good and, and you knew that it was going to be a lot of fun. And, and uh, man, I, I love that. I, I was listening to a bunch of, bunch of his stuff. And of course, stuff that he had played on other people's whenever I heard about his, his passing out, mm-hmm. we were all, um, I don't remember what we were doing that day. Me and, me and my bud were out on the ranch and, uh, definitely had sort of a, I mean, it's a solemn thing. Anytime one of those greats dies, you know, you can't help but get a little down, but then it also can be, can be great because, um, you go back and listen to stuff that I hadn't listened to in a really long time, or maybe stuff I'd almost half forgotten about records and, and, you know, certain particular songs or B sides or stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And there's also like this, I, I think like you always kind of, especially guys from the past, you, since you get their entire catalog at once, since you, you, you weren't really around when it was being released, you kind of get the sense that like, you know, Oh, these guys, you know, you started out real young and it was just Charlie Daniels when he was young. And that's really not the case. You know, he, uh, there's these like, you know, he started out as a studio guy and, you know, then like become, became part of a guy in a band kind of thing. And then like, you know, finally had some success as a, as a solo artist. And you, you, when you kind of go back and listen to someone's career like that, you, you get more context and more appreciation for the, uh, the struggle of it all, the hard work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things, yeah, I, uh, go ahead. There was one, I'll tell you this real quick, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> that day, the day that Charlie died and I was reading about it, I, I just remember this that night when we were, whenever we finished up doing, we were probably fixing fence or something. I don't remember, but we were doing whatever it is we were doing. And, um, we called up, uh, our, we have a mutual friend, uh, Mike Beck, who uh, me and my friend do, and, and uh, uh, you know, I recorded one of his songs a while ago, Pub Happy Reunion. He's a great songwriter and a, and a really cool dude, and he's just one of them guys that's got a story for everything. And uh, he knew everybody at one point, and of course, he immediately like, oh man, I ever tell you my Charlie Daniels story, which is all he always starts his stories like that. Did I ever tell you this? And then you just kind of <laughs> lean back and let him go for about an hour kind of like i guess it'd be like rambling jack in that sense that you just sort of sit back and listen to this crazy story <laughs> and he does this whole thing about um i won't do the whole story because we'll be here for too long but he told this whole story about going to nashville and, and wanting to be wanting to play lead to play lead guitar for somebody in somebody's band um i can't remember when it, he said it was but uh, i guess he went up to charlie used to have like a he used to have a little ranch of his own up on Mount Juliet outside of Nashville. And, um, I guess Mike went there trying to looking for a gig and, and, uh, Charlie figured out that Mike was kind of a bit of a, you know, 
he had that has the whole California look to him and the whole buckaroo thing and, and wanted to get him in the arena to rope some shit, show him to rope and some, <laughs> some shit. And he said he, he dragged him in there and they were roping like these green colts or something. And that was, <laughs> was Charlie's way of, of getting these like green ass colts real gentle was to rope the shit out of them, I guess. But, you know, he told it, it ended up being a great day because <laughs> we just sat with the mic, tell this story, this great story about Charlie Daniels. Uh, man, I didn't even know that you met the guy. I'm like, oh yeah, he was real surly, but, um, <laughs> and he was like yelling, yelling at the ranch manager and all kinds of stuff. But uh, anyhow, <laughs> it, it ended up, it was sad when we heard the news, but it, I got a great story out of it and got to go back and dig through some really, really good uh, music. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it was so funny about all that too. Is like, I think at the end of the day, like Charlie Daniels was always Charlie Daniels, like <laughs> no matter. <where>. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, I mean, there's no put on there. That's just the way that guy was, man. He was, he was wild, and and you know, <laughs> I mean, nobody liked him. That all them old guys, man. They were they were so unique, and even you know certain guys that you might. <laughs> It seemed to be similar. They were all so unique, and then they don't uh, just don't make them like that anymore. I guess, which is cliche, but damn it, it's true. Yeah, yeah. There's a. It feels like, in a in a way, like even just forty years ago, sometimes you you get that sense of that wild west in, in people where you know you. It's not so. Well, we got to be so formal about everything. These guys kind of just came from um, a different time where it was a little bit more loose, a little bit more just, uh, you know, a little bit more fun. I, I don't know, not necessarily fun. Yeah. It's fun now, too, but, you know. I'm well, you know, I think a lot of it, and and, and um, i probably get in trouble for saying this sort of thing, but, you know, nowadays you got a lot of uh, new artists that they come out on whatever scene and they start to get a little bit of attention. They sign record deals and these record label folks, you know, I don't care whether it's, you know, some little independent label or universal or Warner or whoever the hell, you know, they all want to, they all want to sort of piece together this thing. They call it a narrative for these <laughs> artists yeah. and they all want to, you know, tell their version of, they won't all want to sort of present this artist in a certain way and, and make them into this thing so that, you know, they can, I guess I'm, I'm really not sure why I guess that that's what, how their system works and that's how they sell shit, you know, and sell records. But, uh, didn't have that back in the day, man. People, there was no narrative being told other than the act, you know, the stories you would hear about these guys just like the one that Mike was telling us and like, you know, word of mouth kind of thing. And then of course the songs and the records, that's where most of the narrative was, was, well, just listen to the fucking record, you know, and you, you don't have to have some schemed up record label thing to get people to know who you are. That's what the record's for, you know? Yeah. Like, the but, um, talk but I, I hear you, man. It's it definitely nowadays you get kind of a lot of what feels like really forced, um, Personas, I guess, would be the word with people, and and um, you know, whatever. I guess that's what works for some people. But uh, I've always liked to. I think that's one of the things about all them old guys that uh, makes them so great is they didn't, man. They weren't doing any of that crap. 
and they were just being themselves and and putting themselves out there, you know, yeah. or the good ones were anyways. Yeah. I mean, the, the narrative thing, the talking points, the, you know, focus on this. I'm, I mean, I know, like, that's like a – no matter – even if you're not even that big of an artist, you know, you can be coached by your, your team or whatever uh, to yeah. put on a certain hat, you know, a certain vibe or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's uh, – Yeah, I think a lot of people slip into that sort of thing because they – whether they're new and they just don't know any better or they, they, they've been convinced that that's what you need to do, you know, that whole deal. Um, but, uh, I, I don't have a lot of patience for that, man. I get tired of it and you just get all these <laughs> manufactured personalities out of it, you know, and, and, um, that stuff's not going to last, you know, that's not going to stand the test of time. Like some of these guys records we've been talking about, you know? Yeah. That's to me. It always just goes back to the record, like just yeah. t- go back to the record, go back to the music, go back to talking with the the artist, versus yeah, you know, going through these different lenses and stuff. Um, you know, one of the things you you've been talking about, Mike. Uh, and of course, you did that song of his. Um, there's a a, f- a few songs that I feel like you you've done that are that are covers that are more recent but they have that timelessness of, you know, that of, of more traditional stuff. Obviously like you, you did diamond Joe, which is a, a traditional song and you know, mm-hmm. they don't, that doesn't feel weird next to a song that's more from a, more of a contemporary than, than, you know, aged with time, if you will. Yeah. Well, that's, it's a, kind of a balancing act and I've been figuring this out over the past few years because it's I love singing those old songs and the old traditionals that have been around forever and um, a lot of times they're all I feel like singing because I think they're a lot better than my songs but um, at the same time um, in the world of country western music and I think especially in the world cowboy songs uh, it's really important to I mean do all them old songs and make people aware of that stuff but it's also really important I think to um you know, keep it, keep it contemporary and, and bring something new to the table, um, to the best of your ability. And, and, um, I think a lot of people, a lot of people think that, you know, they kind of get this idea of, of cowboy songs and they think maybe think sons of the pioneers and, and it's all sort of, Oh, the good old days and days gone by. And, and that's sort of just reinforcing the whole, um, I, the whole idea that, you know, it's, it's all, Oh, that's all past now. And, you know, we, we've moved those times aren't like that anymore and they're not like that anymore, but guess what? They're still, you know, <laughs> you just ate, you know, you just went out to wherever and got a cheeseburger. Somebody was looking after that gal, man. And, uh, there's still people out there doing it. People have been saying that, you know, that whole way of life is, is dying and people have been saying that for hundreds of years. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not dying, it, but it changes just like anything, you know, certain things about it change, certain things don't, but things about it change. And, and, um, you know, I think that should go into a lot of songwriting too, or a lot of your, whatever it is, whether it's your song or someone else's. It's important, I think, to just to keep people aware that like, Hey, this still is a, you know, this is not a, a dead way of life. And this is not a thing of the past. And, it, you know, a lot of time has gone by and things have changed and, and 
you know, you see a lot of them open spaces that are synonymous with the West and kind of closing in, you know. But at the same time, Cowboys are alive and well, man. And, and um, you know, a lot of guys I know that I've considered to be, you know, real top hands and the real deal, unlike myself, um, they want to hear, they love old songs, but they want to hear new stuff too. And they want to hear about, they like hearing about shit that they do today, you know, not just, you know, get along little doggies and, and trail driving and, you know, old song, strawberry roan kind of stuff, ride don't paint that stuff. They want to hear those, but they like hearing that new stuff, man. And, and they, cause it's about them, you know, and, um, mm-hmm. and those guys are still around and they're still, you know, put food on tables for the whole damn nation. So, yeah. Yeah. The, uh, and that's been kind of tough to find because I like doing both, try to do a little bit of both, you know, traditionals and also, you know, approaching it with some newer stuff. Yeah. About, uh, you know, from that sort of point of view, I guess. Yeah. The, um, you know, it, it, the, the whole point on like everyone like the like the I guess to go back to narrative the the narrative that the the west is is gone or like you know it's it's closed down has been going on for for century now uh if you yeah. watch any western movie like I love westerns but one of the you know universal central themes of a lot of these movies have has always been that you know the west has finally been tamed or like, you know, he's, yeah. the, he's the last of the kind. And, uh, you know, there there is something to it. But there's also, you know, a, there's a lot of things in in this way of life that you, uh, there's just no other way to do it other than that way. Uh, as, as great yeah. as innovation has, has helped um, modernize so many things, like there's some, some, some things are just, they have to be done manually and by hand and, uh, mm-hmm. It's just the way it'll be for, for a while. Yeah, yeah. You know, people. I think people really like, for whatever reason, they really love the whole last of the dying breed narrative. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess it sells or whatever. But um, like I said, man, there's. Uh, I don't think I don't think any of that stuff's going anywhere. It's not going away, despite what people have been saying for the last hundred years. And uh, you know, you can talk to a lot of historians and they'll tell you that the the real untamed woolly days of the West, you know, they were, they lasted about one generation and it was real short lived, but, um, you know, that's, that's the history of a whole culture and, um, it don't go away, you know, it changes, but it, it, it is a culture that, you know, and there's some, some of that that like I said changes and you start to see you know I guess places where maybe at one point there was just all folks that can you know you might think of as true blue westerners and now you get people moving in from other other places whether it's you know the east coast or the west coast or whatever but uh, there's always going to be them people that that are sort of you know passing the torch and and is and and sort of maintaining that culture, you know, because it's just built into you at a certain point. Mm-hmm. You just that's what you do. It just sort of passes down through the generations, and it'll change. And 
certain things about it will change, but it'll always be there. At least that's what I like to think. And I yeah. guess, uh, well, I mean, I, I think, just like saying about it. <laughs> you know, well, if you, I think if you, with anything really, if you search for it, you can find it and you can find that magic yeah. over it or the, you know, the, obviously there's a lot of nostalgia and mad magic with, with it, but there's also a lot of, if you, if you want to find the hard work, <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty of people you yeah. can, you can meet the, you know, go, go some sweat. This episode is in part brought to you by the Blue Light Live here in Lubbock, Texas. While Blue Light is still closed due to the pandemic, there is a way to help A, support Blue Light, and B, get a sense of that normalcy by visiting bluelightlubbock.com, clicking on the merch tab, and getting some koozies, a vast array of t-shirts and caps, and yes, even a Blue Light flag. While it is such a bummer that live music is still on hold right now, I'm telling you, by getting some Blue Light Live merch, you're going to feel better. It just feels better wearing a t-shirt and ball cap and helping support your favorite bar. Again, that's bluelightlubbock.com. Click on the merch tab, get some merch. All right, back to the episode. Now, you know, one of my favorite songs on here, you did a, a talking... Uh, talking Prairie Boy, and uh, you know that that has a, a lot of plenty, plenty of funny little whippers and snappers and jokes and one-liners. And uh, <laughs> when when were you where were you at when you started writing that song? Because obviously you're you're kind of poking fun at, you know. Um, yeah, I think um, I think that one was kind of a it was one of them songs that um, I think I probably wrote. I think I had the intention of writing two different talking blueses and they kind of got um, thrown in together on one, I think is what happened with that song. And this is a while, this would have been probably a couple of years ago. Cause a lot of these songs, you know, as far as the originals go anyways, and, and I guess some of the covers too, I've been singing a lot of this stuff for a long time. It mm-hmm. just hasn't made its way onto the tape yet. But uh, yeah, the talking Prairie boy, I think, I think I started writing some of it back home in uh, Southwest Saskatchewan. Like the first few verses, I think, was probably written back home because I would have just been writing about home, which is something I like to do a lot. Um, but I think uh, talking about the all the stuff with the lead, um, I must have been, I'm almost certain that I was... Uh, that I had to be in Nashville whenever that was going on. Because it's sort of, you know, it's, I wouldn't say it's exactly a true story, but it's very um, influenced by uh, an encounter had at that at the Legion in in um, uh, East Nashville, uh, post-42, I think it is, uh, which is a great little bar, but um, I got a lot of opinions about the crowd there. <laughs> and, um, so I won't get into it now, but, uh, yeah, that, that's sort of where the song it just decided that I was going to throw them together, um, because I had these, you know, talking blues are a lot of fun and I've always been a fan of that style of Ramblin' Jack does a ton of them and Dylan did them and it's a real folky kind of thing, but, um, they're just a lot of fun and, uh, the rhyme scheme is a lot of fun. 
and um, the whole thing is meant to be, you know, I like getting comedic with stuff and talking blues are perfect for that sort of thing. So uh, it was, uh, I just kind of had a lot of fun with that one, but um, yeah, I think it, it probably would have been over the course of, a, of the last couple of years, sort of pieced together from, I'm sure what was originally going to be two different talking blueses, you know, cause they're all the same there. Mm-hmm. They all have the, they're all kind of laid out the same way as far as, you know, the, the, the way that it, um, the chord progression and, and the way that it's, can't think of the word, but you know, the way that it all sort of flows out. Yeah. They're really all the same. They kind of all have the same song structure, I guess is what you would say. Yeah. So, um, they just kind of got put together. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you liked that one. That's just just uh, having a little bit of a laugh with that one. Yeah, that, that like that kind of like the talking blues stuff. You, um, it feels like in that kind of structure, you you uh, you're able to like really bend language a lot more. You're able to that, that's where you can like really uh, you know make 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 rhymes. Um, draw them out or like really like shoehorn them in and be real inventive more so in, in, than, than, uh, other songs. Like, and that's like just a yeah. great way to, that's a great space for, for really trying to like pack in a whole lot of words or, uh, vow or, yeah. you know, and, and you, there's a lot of freedom in them yeah. songs because, you know, uh, it's funny because I think Todd Snyder recently put out a new talking blues, which he's done a ton of them too. Cause that's, you know, he's, he knows his stuff and that's totally his style, which I, I always dig about that guy. Um, but he, I think he did one recently where the first, one of the first lines in the songs is, you know, it's a meta kind of thing. Cause he's, he's singing a talking blues about talking blueses. And he says, talking blueses are easy to do. You just have to rhyme a time or two, uh, a time or two now and then, and you don't have to ever rhyme again. And then he goes, see, I can say whatever I want to now which I think is brilliant because that is, <laughs> it's so true about those songs, you know, and it just adds to the, the comedic factor of it is there's not a whole lot of rhyming. Going on. You got a lot of freedom with what you can say because, um, you don't, you know, only have to rhyme a few lines and then you always kind of kick that kicker on the end. There's always that last sort of, uh, little line kicker at the end of the phrase of these talking blues is that, it doesn't rhyme with anything. It's just it's kind of thrown in there for fun. So um, that's cool to do, man. It's just a, a different approach to to writing, and, and I'm a big fan of that sort of thing. Yeah, and uh, of course on the 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 liner notes, the the credits there, I noticed the you, you credit Blake to Creaky Screen Door, and uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that so. <laughs> we were getting that take, and I don't know if it was the first take or the second take, but you know, as you know, it's just me on that track. It's not there's no band on that or anything, no accompaniment. It's just me picking and, and talking. And um, but my buddy, uh, a buddy of mine from Saskatchewan, Blake Bergman, who's also a, a great songwriter and just been a good friend of mine for for a few years now, and um, he was kind of he kind of tagged was tagging along with myself in the band because uh, I had gone down to Texas early to stay with my, my friend on his ranch that I was telling you about before. And, and, uh, and the band was going to meet up. We were all going to meet up in Wimberley. And I found out Bergman was around and, and figured that it'd be cool to have him. And he's just kind of guy you want in that sort of setting. Talk about, you know, fun records like we were talking about before. He's, 
he's perfect for that. <laughs> so, um, he was hanging out and, uh, throughout the whole time, you know, just having fun and goofing off with us. And, <clears throat> and uh, whenever I was recording that track, I guess he had tried to, there's a screen door that's sort of, I guess it's not the main front door of the studio, but it's the one that everyone uses. It goes in the back where the, where it goes, the, the hill kind of goes down the river and there's a fireplace and stuff. And I guess he had figured that we, maybe we were finished. So you can hear him on the track because we kept it. I, I thought it was perfect. Um, you can hear him open that damn screen door right towards the end of the song. And then you can sort of hear him close it because he realizes that he's, that he's fucked up and he walked in on the, you know, on the take. <laughs> So you sort of hear him slowly close it. And then at the very end of the song, you hear it open again. You hear him walk in and we all kind of start laughing and pointing at him and stuff. But um, it's just, you know, like we were talking about before, that's the kind of thing I love to hear on a record when I'm listening to stuff. I I just like when little things like that are left in because it just uh, sort of makes you feel like you're there almost. And and like like you say, it adds, adds a lot of personality to the track, whereas, you know, um, some people would probably call that unprofessionalism, but to me, uh, <laughs> that makes a record from that sort of thing, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I put that down and, and I felt like I should attribute or attribute that to him in the liner notes. So I, if you read the liner notes on talking blues, you can see it says me vocals and guitar. And then it says Blake Berglund, uh, screen door or creaky screen door or whatever. It says. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, the thing, uh, it's all about the the funness of the record the um you know like there is that live element but it's almost what yeah. i kind of describe as is more of a um you know mm-hmm. i'm somewhere in the house and you walk into the, the kitchen and y'all have just magically set up shop right there and started playing you know or you <laughs> know, you walk outside and there's the campfire and Y'all are just sitting there, you know? So like that to me, yeah. like that that's what the, it, it feels like that kind of live setting versus, you know, you guys on stage even. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm real glad to hear that. Um, we sort of recorded this album, uh, two different, uh, setups as far as using the rooms and mm-hmm. there's a lot of the rooms in that studio, which is really, you know, it's an old house, uh, yellow dog, just a little ranch house, brick ranch house. Um, and they've got different, you know, rooms that you can close and sort of get some isolation sound wise. But, uh, we left a lot of shit open. We, we left a lot of doors open to other rooms and we'd set up, you know, in the main living room, we'd have a big room mic and try to capture a lot of space on the record. Cause I've, I've always liked that on a record as opposed to, you know, things sounded real compressed. And, um, we sort of went out of two ways because, um, about half of the record is, it's me and the band and, and it's a little more, um, there's a little more going on. And then the other half of the record is kind of just, uh, um, it's more of a solo, maybe accompaniment here or there. And the way we did it was, uh, um, you know, all that, all that, uh, the songs where it's kind of just me and maybe, you know, somebody else, maybe it's Pat on the Dobro or Jake on the harmonica and, and there's no rhythm section or anything else going on. Those are all live, um, as opposed to, overdubs uh we kind of it was more of just to stand around this what omni mic kind of thing stand around a big ribbon room mic and and play into it um as opposed to you know 
tracking the rhythm section and the vocals and stuff and, and then getting all the other stuff, all the lead stuff separate for overdubs and whatnot. So mm-hmm. um, I kind of was going for one part, you know, um, studio album full band setup with still a lot of space and room. And then, and then, you know, one part more kind of just sitting around like sitting around a campfire kind of thing. Or I, I was calling them the cow camp tracks because I wanted them to just sound like, you know, maybe two or three guys sitting around cow camp and, and picking out an old song or something. So that was kind of the, and again, that was sort of a balancing thing to try to make that work between the, the busy songs that have a little bit more going on and then the, the more uh, pulled back kind of reined in stuff, uh, stripped down stuff. But um, that was my intention, I guess, was trying to combine them two things and, and then just sort of pepper all that in uh, on the on both sides of the record. Yeah, yeah, it's a... Uh... I, I mean, I really like it. I love like just the the vibe and the mood of the record. Um, also, I was going to ask about uh, you did that song with Vincent Neil Emerson, Roadrunner, for and um, was this yeah. was that recorded around this time too? Or this would have been, um, well, you know what? That would have been, I think maybe before. Yeah, that would have been right around. Um, uh, when we, we got to do Willie's Picnic last summer, I guess. So this would have been just before that because I, we, I had to fly down from Texas to do... Um, I had to fly down to Texas from home that summer because uh, I was recording a few things with some buddies there, and, and one of them was Vincent. Um, and uh, he had sort of a rough track of Roadrunner, which he had written a while back and I'd heard him playing it on some tour we were doing together and would kind of always sing along with him. It's just catchy, you know, good melody. He's real good about that, about melodies. Got some good ones. So he, he decided that he was going to, he wanted me to sing a harmony on it, which I can sing a little harmony. I mean, I'm not, I really don't know what I'm doing while I'm doing it, but I can kind of, you know, (laughs) just listen and, and kind of develop a harmony line. I learned to sing harmonies, my version of it by, um, from a pretty young age, listening to the band, who's one of my, you know, a lot of my favorite records are, are the band. And, and um, those guys uh, were not singing perfect harmony. <laughs> they were kind of just doing what I like to do, which is finding the right part that fits in between, you know, whatever else it might be. And, and, and they were kind of just using their kind of, you know, going by ear. And that's um, sort of what I try to do too. And of course, I've worked on that throughout the years. But anyways, um, he wanted me to sing harmonies on that record. So he had sort of a rough track of Roadrunner and I sang over it and he ended up re-recording a lot of it, but, um, he kept my vocals, um, from whenever we did that last summer, I guess it would have been last July or last end of June. And, um, he kept it and, uh, ended up putting it on the, the final cut of that, of that song, which I'm glad he did. I think it's a, it's a real good song, and I'm I'm a big fan of Vincent Says, you know. So yeah. it's cool to get to do that with him. Yeah, I I just love the like that first image of you know I pluck a feather from my tail, <laughs> like that's just yeah. like the the perfect. He's a good writer, man. He's a he's a writing son of a bitch. I mean, he'll he'll text me 
out of the blue and it'll be like three days in a row and they're all new songs, you know, just text me in the evening or whatever, middle of the day. And Hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? And the kid's been on a damn roll lately. Mm-hmm. And I call him kid and he's older than I am, but <laughs> you know, he, he's like a brother uh, to me. I love the guy to death and, and he, he, he can write. He's got, uh, he's got that part figured out <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know. I guess it was about last year he was in town and we did a, an episode and he's just like, I don't know. He, you can, uh, I don't know. He, he likes all of the earth kind of guy, you know, you can just like have that any kind of conversation, whatever subject really. And he, he's going to conversate with you, you know? And, and yeah, I mean, like I mean, I always say that if you can't get along with that guy, then there's probably not a whole <laughs> lot of people that you'll get along with because he's, He's everybody's friend, you know. The second you meet him, he's he's your buddy. But he also could, you know, as far as what's, you know, I think a lot of people in the music industry get caught up, like we were talking about before with personas and stuff. They get caught up with uh, how they're presenting themselves and, you know, being cool and stuff or wanting to be a certain way and, and Vince doesn't have that in him which is something that I figured out pretty quick getting to know him and I love that about him he he's himself you know he's he uh he doesn't much care if you like it or not and I love that about him man he's 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 consistently Vince you know yeah. he ain't trying to impress nobody he's and uh if you make a friend out of him he'll be your friend for life but he's he's gonna be himself you know and, and uh I love that about the guy man I think it it, you can hear it in his songs too. You can hear it in his in his records and in his music, and, and that's what uh, that's what everybody should be striving for. I don't think it is, but it's what it should be. Yeah, the you hear it especially like in in the song like Seven Come Eleven, like his vocals. Yeah, there's like some kind of just pain in there, like that mm-hmm. that he in in a song like that you can just feel like that kind of just the, that pain is sort of like in the same way he, he taps into the same thing that like Ray Wiley Hubbard taps into when, uh, he's singing a song about gambling and, um, yeah. yeah. But then of course also at the same time, like, you know, Willie Nelson's wall, like, you know, that's just like, that's another little fun little song and, you know, he's jovial mm-hmm. in that and, uh, I don't know. There's, I think there's a lot of nuance, I guess, is what I'm saying in his vocals. Yeah. It's not the, you know, there might be folks out there, Austin and Nashville, wherever that kind of have maybe right in a similar, similar strain as guys like Vince, but, um, that's hard mark to hit. And you got to be honest about it. If you're good, if you want to do it right. And he's, he's got it, man. He's, he's got it right on. I figured that out pretty quick. And, you know, we've been buddies. I guess I probably met him maybe about three years ago now, something like that, two, three years ago. Which isn't a long time, but I feel like I've known him a long time. He's he's, he's good people. Yeah, I I don't think he told he talked about it on the during the podcast, but he had mentioned <laughs> this is this is typical new slang fashion is you know after we stop recording, he tells me this great story about y'all seeing Ramblin' Jack in I guess it was Fort Worth or Dallas and like it was not many people there in a small yeah. room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I was there with him. Yeah, I that's what he was saying. Yeah. I'm thinking of the same thing. 
it was in Fort Worth at a little tiny upstairs joint. Um, the kind of venue you buy your tickets at the door and you climb up a bunch of flights of stairs to get to this little, almost like a speakeasy, I guess, a little bar. Real small room, like maybe 50 people max capacity, maybe. I doubt it even, maybe more like 40 or 30, but we went to go see him. We wrangled tickets and went to go see him. And uh, it was pretty surreal. I mean, I'd, I'd, I believe that was my first time seeing Rambo Jack in person. So it was, mm-hmm. Vince and me both, it was something else. I think, um, I'm guessing that's probably the same story because it yeah. sounds like it. But uh, yeah, we went to go see him and, and just kind of sat there with our jaws on the floor, you know? Yeah, yeah, the, the just, you know, there's always the, the, the whole, you know, don't meet your heroes or anything like that, but, um, you know, a lot of times I think, <laughs> I, I don't even know if I, I abide by that rule, you know, because a lot of times you meet a lot of these people and they're, if they're, if, if you like well, their music, you, you, know, know, you can. there's exceptions to every rule, and, and yeah. if, if anyone is the exception to that rule, it's Ramblin' Jack Elliott. Because, I mean, that this is a guy that is so, it blows my mind to think about him still being around because mm-hmm. he lived through so damn much and, and covered so much ground and knew everybody and everybody adored this guy. I mean, he was, he was everybody's idol, even though he, he himself never really found, never made it bigger necessarily per se which is another one of my favorite things about him. You know, he didn't want to, he, you can tell he didn't want that. He just wanted to run around the world and the country and, and, uh, sail and cowboy and all the things that Randall Jack does. Yeah. But, um, I'd say he is the exception to that rule if anybody is because he, he might as well be from a different planet with, you know, his story and where he comes from. And you can tell talking to him too. Randall Jack will talk to anybody. I've seen him now the past couple of years at uh, the poetry gathering in Elko, Nevada, because mm-hmm. he loves to go to that. And um, he'll just be wandering around the streets or in one of the diners there in, in Elko. And anybody can come up to him. He'll talk to anyone. You know, he doesn't, uh, it's like he doesn't know who he is, really. <laughs> but um, yeah, if you have the opportunity to meet Ramblin' Jack, I mean, beyond seeing him play, obviously, but you have the opportunity to walk up to that guy, talk to him go do it because he's one of them guys again that you don't you know you don't have to say anything to Ramblin' Jack or guys like that you don't have to really say much you just start him up on something and wait for him to take off on something and then you sit back and shut the hell up and listen and just you know live in that moment because it's a rare moment and it's a beautiful moment and uh, we got to do that Vince and I got to do that a little bit that night in Fort Worth and he was there with Larry Mahan too which was pretty damn cool so I got to meet Larry Mahan and Ramblin' Jack in the same night. Yeah. Felt like I was in a Guy Clark song. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely that night because now, now that you mentioned Larry being there. Uh, yeah, he was uh, there and they, they sang together. I think they sang You Are My Sunshine uh, together, but it wasn't to the crowd. They were like singing it to each other, <laughs> which was like just, again, you just feel like you're a fly on the wall and some amazing moment, you know? Yeah. But yeah, that was that was pretty cool. Yeah, I I always love whenever you um, when you interview one of these guys who, for example, like probably I don't know five six years ago I interviewed Billy Joe Shaver 
and we talked for about an hour or so. Yeah. I probably had like 10 minutes of, of dialogue and <laughs> the rest was him talking and it was, you know, just me listening. Yeah. And there's no other way I'd want it, you know, <laughs> just to hear those guys. Yeah. Talk. Those are the gold moments. And you know, that you keep those with you. Uh, I can remember, I don't have the best memory. I'll admit, um, I'm admittedly pretty bad with remembering stuff, but, um, those any moments I've had like that with guys like Billy Joe or Ramon Jack, you know, or Ian Tyson or John Prine or anyone I've been lucky enough to, you know, be around for even if it's just five minutes. No, I don't think I'll ever forget those because those are. I mean, how could you? You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah, man. I think that's that's probably a good capper right there. It's been good talking with you. Go. Cool. Okay, that does it for this week. I hope you really enjoyed this one. Be sure to check out Coulter Wall's upcoming album, Western Swing and Waltzes and Other Punchy Songs, out Friday, August 28th. Check out episode partners, Desert Door Texas Soltal and The Blue Light Live. All right, we'll see you next week.